I mean, I think icebergs being open and seeing staff who've struggled to, to get back out there and get dropped into a Bondi summer that I'm really excited about. I mean, I think summer in Bondi this year feels like it's going to be pretty special. And the menus and, and the, the wine lists and things are tuned up and the staff are ready to go. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Just recently, Sydney racked up 100 days of lockdown in a row, but with restrictions beginning to ease, a light has emerged at the end of a very long tunnel. Although many restaurants switched to an at-home model, front-of-house staff, in most cases, have had to sit on the sidelines and wait until they can work their magic on the floor again. What impact has this had on the front-of-house profession the wait staff, the buses, the sommeliers, the hosts. James Hurd is from Icebergs Dining Room and Bar in Sydney. James, how are you? Yeah, very well, and thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you on the show. You've uh, had a very long lockdown. What's it, what's it been like? Have you been busy during this time? Yeah, look, I have been um, really busy. I guess um, I had a lot of projects on the go last year that got pushed back to this year. And then the, the ones from this year are getting pushed back. So I'm really coming out of the blocks pretty hot, you know. And there's a, there's a, even though we've been in lockdown a long time, I mean, it's a great time to be speaking to you because it's almost like the Berlin Wall moment for Sydney hospitality at the moment. You know, we're, we're sort of a, a few days away from getting back, you know, in, into the restaurants and, and getting people back on the streets. So it's a really exciting time. It's been a busy Jesus, it's 100 days, it seems to have gone really quickly. Um, it's been, you know, hard, but, I mean, there's definitely harder things happening on the planet than this, I think. You mentioned that there's been a, a lot of projects and you've been sort of pushing some aside and getting on top of others. Um, how has your role changed in the group in the last year and a half as a result of what's happened? Look, so I guess in February, um, you know, 2020, I was – group wine director for, you know, the Point Group and um, Icebergs and working with Morris closely. And at that time, I was looking to sort of funnel down my role to work with Morris particularly because I had plans with my wife to um, to buy a vineyard overseas and start to create a business overseas in Italy and, and sort of been doing a lot of work. And she'd been traveling, you know, she's a travel writer, so we'd been over there a lot and we'd sort of started to funnel down to where we wanted to be. And then obviously, and and then I had another project with Morgan McGlone and Annie, my, my wife, um, to create some parties around the world called Food Fight Club. And we're doing one in Copenhagen with Anders Selmar from Fiskebar, and so all those things were just coming to a head. And then, obviously, the the first sort of COVID lockdown happened, and we sort of pushed pushed things back. And I, it was gonna, it was proving really hard to to try and you know look at a vineyard in Italy when we're here, and we and we didn't we sort of you know there's a lot of uncertainty last year and, you know, about whether we wanted to do it still. I guess, you know, October this year, we're gearing up to do it still. We sort of changed to the south of France. We're looking sort of in the Luberon area now. Um, and Morgan and, and Annie and I are still planning to do parties overseas and we just actually we were on a Zoom call the other day trying to tee up some things to start happening in 22. So everything's been delayed but i mean as, as as hard as it's been it's definitely been you know mentally hard at times i guess for a lot of people including myself but i guess having those things sort of on the horizon and maybe feeling fortunate to have had so much time to reflect and be on your own and especially for us as a couple 
you know, with the children and myself, with Annie. Um, it's been a really special time to be able to think about what we really want to do. And I guess for, for icebergs for me, you know, with Morris, that relationship's, you know, always strong. And I'm, I'm sort of really excited to sort of, you know, see icebergs go into its 20th year. And, you know, he's, he's, he comes in, you know, every week with a new idea and a new project. And you know, so he's a really creative person. So he, he never, he certainly doesn't sleep while, while COVID's been keeping us locked down. What's the feeling at the moment uh, with the team at Icebergs? As, as you mentioned, um, everything's about to start to open up again and there's a lot of anticipation. What, what's the feeling in the team? Well, look, I think it's positive. I mean, the, 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 the main management team, you know, general manager Tasso Delanoche, the head chef Alex Pritchard, Gabrielle Webster's still there in the background. She's still recovering from that horrific um accident that she had last year but so the main team is there and obviously Morris and Simone in events so but there's a nervousness and you know but we feel pretty confident that there seems to be a clear picture we're heading into summer which should be a good time for both Bondi and Sydney generally Um, there's a lot of optimism in Sydney I think about you know hopefully that was you know this is the last lockdown. Um, I think there's pressure on, on businesses to find staff. There's a real lack of labour and people willing to work in hospitality, which is going to be a really ongoing issue. And there's definitely not a lack of demand. Icebergs is, you know, bookings are phenomenally, you know, for, for we're, we're overwhelmed with bookings, which is really great to see that there's a thirst for, for the venue. But there's, a, there's definitely a... Um, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be some new pressures, I think, for restaurants that, that, that possibly weren't there before. And for me personally, working on the sort of the business side of it, you know, there's how, how you deal with rent deferrals, how you deal with this, you know, this pause of, of, of revenue um, and how you make sure staff are sort of safe and got a great place to work. So there's, it's going to be an interesting 12 months, but I think more so than last August when we opened, I think there's a, there's a lot more positivity around You've had a massive impact on the drinks uh, and wine change uh, in the last decade in, in Australia, but you're not one to seek the limelight. When did, when did the interest in hospitality start for you? Look, it's a, it goes a long way back for me because, um, A, I'm old and, and B, <laughs> B, B, I've sort of done a lot of things over my, you know, my career. Like, you know, I, I was a chef, you know, you know, you know, fighting to get a chef's hat. I was a sommelier trying to win sommelier of the year. I've worked as a professional trying to, you know, win clients. So I've done a lot of things. I think for me it's sort of sowed really early. My family, um, I'm from the UK. Uh, we came out here when I was quite young. But at, as a result of my pa- my parents, um, British citizens, but they met in Canada, had my eldest sister in Uruguay moved from the south of England to the north of Queensland. So they've moved around a lot. So I've seen a lot of restaurants. I think I'd seen a lot of culture and different cultures at quite a young age, and I'm talking like six, seven, eight. So I sort of had a, an idea of, you know, how to, you know, what a, a, a le pain or chocolat was, you know, and, you know, crazy things like that at a very young age. And I guess at 12 years old, um, my parents sent each of us on a trip um, on our own somewhere in the world. Like my, my older sister went to Uruguay where she was born and stayed with the family. And my um, next sister was in Santa Domenico, Domingo, sorry, in Dominican Republic. And I went to, I went to, um, fortunately for me, went to Annecy in, in Haute-Savoie in France and stayed with the family for a summer, which was a winter, obviously in the Northern hemisphere. And the family, um, 
were really into food. And so as a 12-year-old who'd sort of spent some time in, you know, Townsville and then Noosa and Brisbane, it was a big change of pace being in a non-English-speaking, you know, in the French Alps. Instead of surfing, there were people skiing. It's kind of pre-snowboarding craze too because of my age. But so... You know, I, I was. Expi- I remember really clearly Bernard, the the, the, the father, when the kids were at school because I didn't go to school, taking me forty minutes to a restaurant sort of outside Majev to eat trout, and we'd be skiing and eating cheeses like Beaufort, and him giving me a recipe that takes my mother for salad dressing, you know, um, with you know from Dijon, which is nearby. So I think that that really that that early age of seeing food, it was and my parent, my mother's a phenomenal cook, grandmother's a phenomenal cook. We have a you know we we spend Christmases around a table. People argue about the Christmas pudding recipe, you know, it was written in eighteen ninety five by my grandmother and whether it's doubled. So we we, we have a, a culture, a family culture that's very strong around food and travel. And I think that that's sort of sowed the interest for me in food. Um, and then I sort of went back to school after that and I was at boarding school in Brisbane and um, I had the opportunity when I finished school in my gap year, which we all had as, as kids, I, I, I sort of – we could go somewhere we wanted to go and somewhere that they thought that would be, you know, good for our growth as people. So before I went to Sydney University, I had a year. And my six, first six months was in central India in Madhya Pradesh in um, near Bhopal in Indore and I sort of learnt a bit of Hindi and, and sort of immersed yeah yeah it's not I, I apologise to any Hindi listeners it's been a while but the the um, speaking listeners um, yeah so I think that time again it's like that that unsettled me from more of a corporate trajectory and I sort of still went back to Sydney University and studied and completed degrees but that time in India really sort of changed you know me from somewhere that's been in a post bioki Peterson sort of southeast Queensland bubble into central India it's a it's a it's a pretty um it's a pretty big change and and again then food you know, you, you go to Goa with its Portuguese influence or Gujarat or in the south and you're seeing those different foods and they, they you, you notice it. I mean, you can't help but notice if you're in in Kerala, the food's different to a year in Kashmir. And, and, and I guess Indian food is so strong. It's another, another place that really influenced my interest in food. Um, and then I guess this is a long way around. So then I, I went back to university, completed my degree and then, at the end of that, sort of started to work in a more sort of corporate trajectory, as I said, and then had this light bulb moment when a friend from Noosa said, hey, there's an opening in the kitchen this summer. You should come up and hang out and we'll just, you know, reminisce about old times and surf a bit. And I went up there and, and started cooking and, and uh, that was it. I um, never stopped. And then yeah, until I found wines, you know, some 20 years later, but it was a lot, that that sort of early period, I think travel, food, and culture. But once you travel and you're you're exposed to travel and have parents or a, an environment where you're exposed to it, you automatically you know you're interested in food because it changes. It changes so much where you are geographically and the people, the cultures that you're with. Let's have a look at your chefing career. Do you, was there any key moments that you can um, tell us about that really? change the trajectory for you as a chef? Yeah, look, I, um, I, so I'd been in Noosa and obviously I'd, stu- I'd studied and completed a degree and I'd sort of had, you know, I, I had gone, I sort of started an apprenticeship in, in 
in in um, Noosa, went to Nambour TAFE, which is a huge, you know, huge change of pace from Sydney Uni and talking about economics law and sitting in Merriweather building arguing with lecturers. But I enjoyed it just as much, you know. And so I'd been there and I suddenly started to realise, wow, if I want to make this, I'm starting late. I've got, to, I've got to work with some good people and I've got to travel. I've got to get overseas. I've got to, um, you know, find something. So I, I, my, growing up, my mum had a book called The Great Chefs of France, which is an amazing book by um, Anthony Blake, I think, and Quinton Crew from memory. And there was a, a, I sort of tried to seek out the Australian equivalent and there was one at the time called, I think, 21 Great Chefs of Australia. So I sort of went through there and sort of looked at the, the people in that book. And one of them, fortunately for me, was called Danny Shue, who was a, uh, chef at um, Cleopatra, um, which was a two-hat sort of French restaurant in um, Blackheath, and she, you know, she was a for, for me. Fortunately, you know, it was, I, I sort of sent a letter to her, and fortunately, she took me on as a pastry chef, which, which despite having zero qualifications, apart from a session with my mum and my nephews in the kitchen trying to make pop pastry before I took the train up there for the job interview. Um, but that two years, I mean, she was from the Dordogne. She cooked really wonderful um, French food, country cooking, and that sort of Elizabeth David sort of, you know, when you when you read just beautiful, simple, elegant country cooking. And that really shaped me and gave me the confidence. And that was a big starting point to really, you know, wow, I can do things. Then I went and worked overseas at some places and travelled and came back and I sort of worked um, at a place called Buzo, which was owned by some different people. And during that time there, I got offered a job by John Wilson, who's, um, he used to have a smoked salmon company. He's, he's, you know, he's a, he's done catering. I think he's based in Tokyo now, but he, is a really important part of the Sydney food scene. I think that probably didn't get held as much as maybe mainstream people knew. But he gave me an opportunity to be the head chef of a restaurant which was in the old Paramount site where Christine Mantle was called uh, Austria Moana. And I took that hit, a job as a head chef and worked with a woman named Ann Taylor who's a phenomenal chef who had a I – don't, I don't remember the restaurant, but it was, a, it was an important restaurant in Australia in the 80s. And so I worked with her as the head chef there. And, he re- and again, you know, we got a chef's hat and I was, you know, young and that, that, I just felt really alive. And he was really into pairing back food and being really, you know, Italian food at its core and serving an artichoke if an artichoke was great. I think his confidence and vision really rubbed off as me as a cook. So that was a really, you know, that was a big moment um, for me. And at that time too, I'd started to sort of drink wine and understand wine and particularly Italian wine. So there's a lot, lot going on. And then we opened up some businesses. Um, uh, I did with Todd Garrett, who's, a, you know, still one of my favorite chefs in Australia, um, and Tracy Trinder. And we, we, we did Buzo and then, um, wine library. And so it's through that time I cooked, but as, as sort of, you know, around 2008, I started to really, you know, really sort of chase the wine, the, the, the studying, starting to study wine and, and, and that drive started to overtake the, the cooking. Um, so, the, yeah, it was, I was really fortunate to work with a lot of great chefs and I think coming from a cooking background made wine really interesting because I looked at it through quite different, through, through a very different lens, I guess, to a people who just start out as sommeliers. No, no better or worse, just different. Let's have a look at Wine Library. It arrived at a time when things were changing in Sydney. There were small bar licences up for grabs and the city started to change um, with smaller venues. Um, 
and Wine Library made a huge impact. Tell us about what it was like and the, the momentum and interest it received. Look, for me, it's um, it's you know, it was it was life changing because it introduced me to now what are some of my best friends. It um, introduced me to a style of wine and understanding of wine that didn't happen. It was a really free place. It was really you know. It was not uncommon for to, to be there till five, six in the morning, you know, don't tell the licensing police, it was all legit. But we just drinking with friends and talking. I remember going to one two one BC, which was another great bar with George Erd and Maria, and we'd sit there talking all night about wine and ringing people in Europe and planning trips and Joel Amos, who's now at drinks, we'd be sitting in the bar and then we'd book to go to London. We went to London for four days, you know, to, to a wine fair and flew back, you know. So it was a really exciting group of people as much as that you know that sort of brought that sort of that thinking about wine and sustainable wine and organic farming and and, and things to sydney and mike benny it was it was a really exciting bar and and it was a very for me that those first few years there were i learned so much off so many people you know sommeliers like you know um anders selma mads all these people coming through from around the world and just sitting there drinking talking and learning you know, and we, we're very fortunate in Sydney to have had people, you know, great importers like Andrew Gard and Dan Clark. There's a hundred Tim Stock. There's all these amazing importers that had been here that had these wines and then just have this forum which was just fun and loose and, you know, open a bottle and share a plate of food. It was it was, it was a really exhilarating time, I guess, for me. And I, and I certainly learnt a phenomenal amount in a very short space of time. Wine can be quite intimidating for a lot of people and, um, they rely on experts like you to guide them through it. But what makes a great experience, wine experience? You know, it's 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 really personal. Um, and so, like with with lockdown, a lot of people you'll see sitting down with like little um, tasters of little you know, th- you know pharmacy bottles of wine, seven in a row, all labelled from from winemakers and doing tastings and tasting through them, and they get satisfaction from that. For me, it's um, when a wine resonates the place it's from. So like when I found like Barolo is a great example where I sort of discovered around 2003, I went, I mean, as in it wasn't to be found, but I, I, I visited Barolo in 2003 and, and I had no idea about wine and I started to taste the place and I started to, you know, with the great producers there, you, you start to understand that, that that this is from this place. And if that wine, that flavour resonates with you, the deeper you go into it, um, the more profound that sort of experience becomes. So for me, what makes a wine great is if it reflects the place, um, it reflects the person who, who who made it. And I think there's more and more wines coming coming available in Australia that, that have that, that are maybe less made by a, a company that just bangs out things to a recipe of sorts. I know all wines, but they're not controlled. They reflect the season. They re- reflect the place. So those wines are the ones I think that, it, that for me that are great. You were involved with some other people to create uh, Rootstock, um, a huge event. Tell us about how that came about and when, what it was like pulling that together. Well, look, it was a big. It was. A, it became like a festival with up to ten thousand people through the door. So it, it was. It was an amazing journey. It was collaborative. I mean, there were five of us that started it. I mean, it started with Mike, Giorgio and I, Giorgio de Maria and Mike Benny, 
talking about it and then thinking about a place and then we joined up with Matt Young and Linda Wiss and, and Joel Amos and other, heaps of other people and it snowballed. But whilst there were five of us in there, there was literally thousands of people over the five years involved that made it. We were just we were just lucky to to, to, to be holding you know holding on to the reins at some points of it, but it ran its kind of self. It was truly, I mean, the the lineup of chefs. If you look back on that, that came through it, the lineup of winemakers of um, First Nations people that that that, gave, that lectured and talked and, and spoke at that thing from Magnus Nielsen to you know Uncle Bruce Pascoe, Ben Shuri, you know, so many big names, but. Along with you know, so many smaller names that people didn't know and producers that were that, that were found. It was a really special, really special to be involved with it. And and it was five years that I um you know I don't think it can be repeated because it was just such a, a moment in time, and sort of an awakening of particularly for for wine of of produce and where it comes from. Italian food and wine has run a thread through your career. What is your interest with Italian all things Italian? Um, I guess I've tra- I went there, I visited there a lot, and um, you know, I'm intending to visit there a lot next year if 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 if, um, if I can get in. Um, it's just it's just res. I mean, I like the simplicity. I like that that it's one, two, three, four ingredients. It's seasonal, you know. At the moment, you know, my wife's growing cauliflowers, so we've got a little kitchen garden, and seeing those things grow and just come up, harvest and dress with olive oil, treat them simply. You just it just touches me so I don't, I don't i don't need to break it down change the shape of it cook it with ash i just like to you know i like that the the transparency of italian cooking that it it, it it sort of shows what's behind it what sort of impact has the last year and a half had on you i know you had plans to go overseas but has it changed your views of the industry and and what you might do um, it definitely, it definitely has. Like I, I always want to be involved in the Sydney restaurant landscape, uh, you know, uh, in some capacity. But it's really made me realise that for me, I I love Sydney and I, and I love the community. But I really miss, um, I being overseas. I miss for what I do, tasting wine. Like as I said, I can't do it on a Zoom call, tasting blind. I'm, I'm not someone who wants to try three hundred wines under alfoil. I want to stand in the vineyard. And, and talk to the talk to the person who makes it. And I, you know, like the areas I like with Jura, the Barol, you know, um, Piemonte, you know, um, Beaujolais. I like to be there and to meet the person, to understand, to stand in the vineyard. So it's really confirmed to me that that um, Annie and I's decision to to get a vineyard and have, you know, for our for our you know for my children and her children to have a place to stay when they're travelling in Europe, to have a base in Europe for her travel writing and for me a tasting base, but always to come back. Here. It's real. It's made me realise that that's much more important. I mean, I knew it was important to me, but now I feel like it's it's definitely the direction I want to be in. Wine experiences have underpinned what you do. Has there been any great wine experiences that you've had in Australia? Australia that you can share? Yeah, there's there's so many. I mean, well. From a festival point of view, outside of Rootstock, Joel Amos and I did last year. We did this is a personal one rather than a, rather than a winemaker one to start. But we did a festival called Huge Moves, which um, was just before COVID, the second COVID out, you know, the lockdown in Sydney, and just that feeling of being in a room with you know forty producers, um, people, you know, guests who love wine, with music playing. 
is you know that was a really powerful moment for me because it made me realize why how many great Australian producers there are and how much Australian wine like seeing those guys for the first time for many of them in a year standing in a room tasting through their wines listening to music eating great food that that really resonated with me so I guess collectively Australian wine that's that's a moment um, for in terms of a, a producer there's so many and it's dangerous to single one out but because I know so many people, but Michael Dillon, I think, um, at Bindi Wines, um, in, you know, is is making wines that that you know. Earlier, I was talking about place and people that that really resonate his patch of land, his family. It resonates what he's interested in, um, and. You know, whilst for me I'm not drawn as much as I used to towards Pinot, Chardonnay and more conventional styles, he's someone who makes them speak and sing a very different frequency. So visiting his um, winery some years ago for the first time and tasting through his cellar, looking, walking around his close-planted vineyard, hearing the history of his father and his family and w- what they're about, um, that, was a, that was a really powerful moment. I mean, one of many in Australia, but that's the first that came to mind. Reopening is looming. What what are the biggest challenges of reopening? Uh, look, I think it's customer expectation, and I guess the, there's a lot of you know the, the vaccination is 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 you know is a hot topic, and and people's understanding of it. I mean, from the restaurant's point of view, for instance, icebergs we're just following health orders, but I guess managing that that's a new thing that we have to deal with. You know, normally you deal with someone arriving at a restaurant who's had a bad day or going through a breakup or getting engaged or getting married, this time you've got to, like, check them both. They have to check into the venue, then they have to check their booking, then they have to prove they're vaccinated, then they've got to wear a mask. You know, there's a lot of things that that, that maybe that, that first sort of six weeks until December the 1st when things loosen up, that's going to be kind of new and a challenge just to make the experience enjoyable because, as you know, with Morris, like the, the, the guest experience and people feeling at ease and, and treated um, – with care and respect, that's going to be an interesting challenge for, for, for all hospitality and, and also for, for guests, you know, when they arrive. It's, it's, it's just different. Um, thankfully, hopefully, it won't be for too long. <laughs> the restaurants have been forced to adapt and change and um, many people have been affected in the industry over the last year and a half. Do you think there will be a different um, hospitality offering as we open up again do you think the industry will change because of this yeah i think from well yeah i do i think on a lot of levels it'll be different i think people's um people like every hospitality um venue in new south wales and victoria would be carrying more debt and more pressure like there's no way someone could have been there'd be the small very small minority that have been better off because of this maybe some that have takeaway elements that have blown up but in general there's going to be staff and venues that are carrying more pressure, directors and owners of businesses carrying more pressure. So I think that's going to create an environment that could be better. Maybe people will will make it um, the booking process, the offering a bit more succinct and direct. I think wine lists perhaps should be in the general will, you know, except for the few that, that are cashed up, will probably shrink down and become a bit more focused and specialised. People will hopefully lower that, you know, have to fight back to pay off some of the debts, you know, to, to landlords, etc. So I think there will be changes. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an interesting 12 months um, 
for business. I mean, I think the good thing is from all our reports around town, and I know a few people around, like I've booked in at uh, Fratellia Paradiso, I've booked in at Margaret, I've booked in at a number of places around town and everyone's busy. So that's good that people are going to be out. So that's going to really help the opening. But there's definitely obstacles. You mentioned how much you love Sydney and that you'll always be tied to it. What is it that you love about the Sydney restaurant scene? Well, I think, you know, there's, it's diverse. And I've really realised, I mean, I, I'm fortunate to be in an LGA that has Josh Nyland and Victor Churchill, but that, as good as that is, like not having Thai Town, not having Chinatown, um, not having Cabramatta, not having Bowie, all these places that, 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 that the, the diversity of offering um, of food in Sydney, um, the, the mix of of you know levels of from three hat to a, you know hong ha there's just a great broadness of how we eat and accessibility that doesn't necessarily involve you know a set menu at 350 dollars a head but if you want that that's there too i think it's a very um it's it's really made me realize how how much I, I travel around the city to get what I want and being in, you know, in a one LGA or one 5k area has really realized how much I miss, like, you know, from its Haymarket is a great, you know, one that, that springs to mind, Newtown. There's such different, there's such different offerings that, that uh, in, in, in such a, in, in, and so diverse, which make it, I think it's really special like that Sydney and at a very high level, like Thai food in Sydney, as you know, it's phenomenal. Chinese food, phenomenal. Like it's 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 a it's it's a it's a very fortunate city from a food point of view. You've had a, an incredible influence in the kitchen and on and in the front of house and on the the drinking expectations of of people in Sydney. Uh, what is it that you love about what you do? For me, it's people. I mean, I, I love people. The, the the friends I've met, um, both who customers um, um, who've professional industry professionals front of house back of house supplies it's meeting people i love the most the thing i love most is becoming friends with people whether it's sitting over a bar sitting in a restaurant serving a customer doing business with other restaurateurs doing business with suppliers it's 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 the friendships and the things that come out of those like the the amount of trips that like people, Giorgio is a great example. Someone I've been overseas with, you know, four or five times now traveling that, that I didn't know, you know, 10 years ago, or I probably just knew him 10 years ago, but, but met through wine. It's become a really close friend. Uh, um, those, those things. I mean, my wife, I met, Icebergs was doing a, an event with um, Anthony Puharich and R- Rolando Shirato at, um, in Los Angeles, and I met my wife. So <laughs> that's life changing. So I think the, 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 the people for me is the thing I love the most. Showing people wine um, that I love and finding producers and being able to tell people the story in a way that's not, you know, this is 10% this and 5% that and 5 this. And I, I like just telling someone a little bit about the place, you know, a little bit about the style, a little bit, you know, to, to me, giving people knowledge that's probably from a quite a, you know, different angle to most sommeliers I really enjoy and, and trying to, um, trying to tell people the story of that person over time. Like Tom, Tom Shawbrook's a great example of his wines have evolved so much since I've known him and, 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 and taking customers on that journey of, of his journey has been really enjoyable for me. So it's people again, it's the, the winemakers as much as the wine. Well, James, we're just moments away from you opening the doors again at 
iceberg. So how is that going to feel? Well, it's it's going to feel pretty amazing. I mean, we've been in there a little bit. We're in there in full force next week. But as exciting as that, I've got to be honest, is we open on Friday the 15th. But on the 11th, um, the, the Nelson Hotel in um, Bondi Junction opens and I intend to stand on the corner at the TAB end of the Oval Bar, order a schooner of rushes and catch up with a few people I haven't seen for at least 101 days. So that's something I look forward to. I mean, I think icebergs being open and seeing staff who've who've been, you know, people have been. We, we all have struggled to to get back out there and get dropped into a Bondi summer that I'm really excited about. I mean, I think summer in Bondi this year feels like it's going to be pretty special. Um, and the menus and and the the wine lists and things are tuned up and the staff are ready to go. So it's going to be. And Morris, one one thing, as everyone knows, Morris Tazzini won't let those doors open unless it's singing. So it's going to be fun. Well, James, it's been an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Good luck on the 15th and good luck on the 11th at the Nelson as well. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks very much for having me. Much appreciated. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.